The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host. And for the next hour, we'll be talking about all things related to guns, shooting, hunting, and the firearms industry in general. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host, Zev the Wolf Nadler, owner and operator of Firearms Concierge and BestDronage.com. Thank you, Kelly. And I want to give a shout out to our good friend, Len Backus at LongRangeHunting.com. For all your long-range hunting and shooting needs, check out his website, longrangehunting.com. Well, I'm looking forward to the show today. It's going to be an awesome show. We've got uh, some good personal friends of mine and uh, people that I've been involved with for a long time. First up on the show is Butch Whiting of Cryptek. Uh, anyone who knows anything about me has seen any of my hunting photographs over the last uh, six, seven years knows that that I'm a big Cryptek fan. That's all I wear in the field. Uh, their gear is second to none, both in quality of, of the manufacturer and uh, the design of the camouflage. I, I happen to be in, in the West, so uh, Highlander works really well in just about every type of situation that we're in. Butch, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for taking the time to be on. Kelly, thank you for the invite. I'm glad I could make it, and I'm looking forward to it also. Well, we usually start off the show with our guests explaining a little bit about uh, who they are, where they grew up, uh, how they came to be interested in firearms. Uh, why don't you give us a little history? Yeah, so um, the, the Cryptic brand uh, kind of was a concept that was born in northern Iraq um, with myself and the other founder when we weren't uh, actually fighting missions and, and actually out on the battlefield. We were daydreaming about what it would take to get into the outdoor industry. And we were living vicariously through hunting DVDs and magazines. And, um, and the bottom line is we came up with a business idea, a business model, that uh, we would spiral features and functions from the apparel that had been improved in the war on terror which was pretty vast, and, and it was actually quite, uh, you know, quite uh, sophisticated in, in some units and organizations into the hardcore civilian hunting market. And I wrote a uh, 25-page business model, um, and out of that business model, there was one sentence that um, really stood out, apparently, for some, for some of the uh, guys that are in the industry, and that was... Uh, you know, to take these improvements that had been honed on the battlefield and, um, and bring them into the hardcore hunting market. And we got some attention and lift. And uh, we transitioned from concept into a hobby. And Cryptic was a hobby for a, a number of years. We still had guys on active duty in the military. And um, we also, you know, had some guys that had just separated from the military, but weren't, we weren't fully engaged in Cryptic. And so 
um, during that hobby phase, we had some, some major big breaks and just continued to get momentum and confidence to the point to where we finally decided, you know, we're going to do this full time. And so it's, it's truly a, a business that was a lifestyle by design concept and idea, and, and it's come to fruition. And so it's um, been a neat well, deal. First off, I'd like to thank you for your service. Um, we love uh, having uh, former military on the show. Um, you know, I, I'm just so excited when, when I get to talk with people who've actually made that uh, commitment to, you know, be on the, the front line when needed. Uh, thanks to you and, and the co-founder for that. That's really cool. Second thing is, I got to give you a lot of credit. There are a lot of concepts that are really good concepts that never get out of the hobby stage. Uh, believe me, anyone who gets to make that transition from hobby to a business and actually employ people and, and start to reach some of the goals that they've set for themselves, uh, people who've never tried have no idea what a phenomenal achievement that really is. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I live vicariously through my buddies that are still in and still active duty. Um, and I think it's vice versa. They kind of live vicariously back through me and, and, and Josh Claycorn, the other founder, and, and what's happening. But uh, we have been very, very lucky. We've been very blessed. And a lot of the things that have occurred along the way, sometimes when I look back on those monumental moments, you know, it, it's it's sometimes kind of staggering, uh, especially when you consider some of the competitors that we've gone up against and and uh, now are looked at as a near peer. And um, we're just very, very fortunate. And it is super, super neat. When I made the decision to get out of the military, it was one of the toughest decisions that I've ever made in my life. I was born to lead um, soldiers on the battlefield. But... I uh, also got to the point with the war on terror where my six-year-old daughter, I was gone four out of her six years, and three, I had a, a four-year-old also at the time that I was gone three out of her four years, and um, and now it's now I'm able to include them uh, in the business, and they've accompanied me on trips um, hunting around the world, and you know they go to some of the shows with us, and. And so uh, even though that was an extremely difficult decision, and I was actually a pretty bitter guy for a couple of years trying to figure out if I'd made the right decision, now I look back and it was absolutely the right decision. So that is definitely uh, one of the luxuries of, of this business is to be able to include the family in it. And so very blessed. You know, that's, that's an advantage of having your own business. And, and people forget that uh, America was actually born and made through the family business organization. I mean, it really was. Everything that began uh, back in the early days of this country, uh, it was all family-related and, and community-related. And, and if you knew someone in your community that, that had something that you wanted, you traded what, what your specialty was for them. And um, and fathers and, and sons worked in the business together and daughters. And so, uh, yeah, I understand that. And I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have had all of my kids work for me at one time or another. And, and my daughter actually is still working for me today. So that's a cool part of, of owning a business. I'd like to get back to what you said about, you know, those rare moments where you found that, that luck was on your side. Can you give us one or two of those particular incidents that you think maybe made the difference in whether you, you were going to make it in business or not? Yeah, some of the, 
the big, I guess, breaks that we had was the, the first one was probably with Cabela's. Um, Cabela's was one of the first entities that saw the cryptic business model, and they were enamored with the whole battlefield to backcountry mentality, which was this tactical hunting crossover. And they had tried, you know, a few things in that category, but they hadn't gone too well. And I think they looked at us and saw that this brand potential with our authenticity and our credibility because of our backgrounds, both um, in combat and also as accomplished, you know, expeditionary type hunting guys, uh, that they got behind the brand. And so the only place you could buy Cryptech when we first got started was at Cabela's. We had an exclusive with them for about two years, two and a half years. And, um, you know, that was a major deal for a brand starting from ground zero and having placement with them. And I think that the first year we came out, we were in 11 million catalogs. Um, You know, looking back on that, we didn't make a lot of money. I'm sure Cabela's made a lot of money, but but it was a nice little step up. It was a a good uh, launch pad for us. and then probably the biggest break uh, that we've had was the U.S. Army camo improvement effort, which was a major solicitation that came out from the Department of Defense for a new family of camouflage for the Army. And uh, it was a bit daunting, you know, that when that solicitation came out. We looked at it, and we were already toying with and working on some concepts and ideas from, for some new camouflage. And um, we really wanted to take this inspiration of camouflage netting that goes all the way back to World War II where the hexagons get distorted and you have the fabric woven in and out and you get this kind of three-dimensional aspect when it's stretched over a hide site or over a sniper's uh, site or a vehicle or a tent and put it on a two-dimensional surface. And when the solicitation came out, we reviewed it and we looked at it and we kind of jumped in with both feet and just kind of accelerated some of our ideas and thoughts. And it went through this elaborate testing. Um, The phase one testing was about a year long. They took uh, 900 soldiers over the period of that year and they put them in a room and they they had a big uh, screen up on the wall and they did what was called a PIP, a picture inside of a picture. And... um, the soldiers had a halo device that dropped drop down and tracked their retinas. And they, uh, they w- inside that picture, whether it was a shot of a valley or a shot of a jungle scene or a canyon scene or a field or whatever, there'd be a two-scale silhouette of a man in there. And they measured in microseconds how long it took those soldiers to acquire um, that target. And they knew all the geometry and science behind what the direction and the algorithms ran out. And they measured in microseconds how long that took, and they down-selected to four companies to move into the Phase 2 company, or the Phase 2 competition, the, phase, the second phase, which is all force-on-force uh, naked-eye acquisition. And we were down-selected with three other companies that were all billion-dollar companies that had, like, 30-man teams working on this. And, um, and Cryptic at that point was just wherever myself and our Josh Claycorn happened to be with our laptop computers. Um, we uh, had third-partied out some of the uh, some consultant work to make sure that our files were in order, um, and and uh, 
and we made this big down select. And it went into the phase two testing, and it was tested for another two years all over the world, Afghanistan, Iraq, and all the military installations. And um, it started to get extremely political towards the end of this competition. We started to get all kinds of feedback that we had won this thing and that we were the best from multiple unrelated sources. Um, guys from the Pentagon to guys that were boots on the ground and in the testing themselves, um, you know, all the way up to sec death type personnel. And uh, there were some smart articles that came out at that time, and they said whoever wins this thing, the non-commercial rights um, on this camo is going to be worth a, a billion dollars over the next 10 years. And uh, these other three big companies had lobbyist groups that were involved in D.C. and so on. We, we were, again, just a couple former soldier and actually an active duty soldier at that time. And uh, they never did issue the award. Um, in fact, it's still the phase two testing results have never been released, but it really provided us an enormous amount of lift. And we got a lot of um, grassroots marketing out of it, a lot of exposure in the tactical industry and international industry, and it opened up a lot of doors that really has, um, you know, allowed us to kind of propel in, in the military and LE side especially. And, uh, you know, looking back on that, just to have the intestinal fortitude to even try to go after that for where we were as a business is pretty remarkable to say the least. So those are two, two examples. There's many, many more, but those were two major, major uh, stepping stones for us. It was definitely a learning experience, and you always look back on it and you wonder what if you if you had gotten it. But I think you'd probably find, especially working with the government, uh, something very similar, maybe even worse than your your deal with Cabela, in that they don't they don't like you to have a lot of money. Uh, when it's all said and done, they they don't want to spend any more than they have to. They have requirements that are so expensive for you to comply with that it makes it difficult for you to end up with being able to keep any of that billion dollars. You know, so. Uh, yeah. But you know, one thing I will tell you: you look at any of the. Uh, the camouflage companies, and there's a couple of them that come to mind when you go to any of the the hunting uh, uh, banquets, um, or you go to less like the SCI um, annual meeting, or uh, Dallas Safari Club. The biggest booths in the place are camouflage companies that don't manufacture anything. So you're you're different in that respect. You you haven't just licensed out your your camouflages and uh, sit back and let everybody else do the thing. You actually manufacture and have a line of product yourself. Yeah, that's that's correct. We we do some licensing. We call it selective licensing or discretionary licensing, but it is a completely different business model from the big uh, legacy type camo brands and I've turned down some major major deals where you know um, we'd be pushed into areas that we didn't want to go or we don't want to be um, you know some like say Walmart type stores or Shopco type stores so we've retained uh, a lot of the use for ourselves and that primarily ties back into so into who some of the end users are um, and, you know, we've got, you know, U.S. Uh, special operations and coalition special operations using our, our camo. And so we do want to be more selective with it and much more controlled with it. 
um, it, that's been a hard, a hard uh, trail to walk. I mean, you know, we have not taken the path of least resistance. It would have been much easier just to step back and say, hey, we're just going to be a licensing company. But we do have our, you know, own line of cryptic branded um, hardcore apparel for hunting uh, on the civilian side. And we also do have a uh, tactical line. And, um, and now we also have a, a new combat line, which is a very compliant made in the USA all components line as well. And those are all not only in our camo patterns, whether they're cryptic Highlander, which is the transitional pattern, or cryptic Mandrake, which is the jungle pattern, but they also are cryptic branded. So when you look at the hang tags inside, they say cryptic as well. And, um, you know that's uh that's kind of the the way ahead for us. I don't see us uh you know transitioning away from that if anything we're gonna be adding more and more um cryptic branded goods and um yeah it's it's kind of a hybrid model, so to speak. I have to tell you uh, I think you have the most badass pattern on the market, and that's typhon I think for just the cool factor of it i think it uh, i wear it all the time i haven't found an application in the field for it because you know we're not allowed to hunt at night which it would work really well but it is just so cool it looks really cool so i want my listeners to be able to at least go to your website and check out all the products that you have and the different patterns what is your website it's uh www.cryptekkryptek.com uh, do you have a, an online store, or are you sold exclusively through dealers? No, we have a mix of both. We have a, a real, actually strong online store, and we actually carry a lot of product there that is not available at retail. Um, you know, some specialty items and lifestyle items and stuff like that. And then, and then also, you know, the main core line, hunting line, um, for sure, is carried at you know, Sportsman's Warehouse, Shields, um, Cabela's, Dick's, and, you know, and, and it's several independents as well, mom-pop type stores. But, you know, that Typhon pattern that you mentioned, Kelly, it is really gone wild. And what's crazy about that the whole family of camouflage that we have now is that uh, the macro and the micro pattern don't change. And when we did this thing for the U.S. government, we developed three patterns, you know, for three major regions, and that was our desert pattern, which is Nomad, Mandrake for jungle, woodland, and then Highlander for everything else, which is by far the, 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 the best, most effective pattern out west, as you mentioned when we started the show. But we started to plug in other colorways, and, um, you know, to kind of pity, piggyback on your Typhon comment is that it's truly just a psychological camouflage. We're getting a lot of lift in uh, SWAT teams, CERT teams, um, and we've also seen that that pattern wrapped on Ferraris and Lamborghinis and uh, a $750,000 expedition vehicle out of Colorado called the Earth Roamer. But it's truly just a psychological pattern, and, and it just really does look look awesome for sure. And um, a very, very popular in the uh, in the gun world and also now in the archery world as well on hard goods so um, never thought in a million years that that would get the momentum that it has now hey butch i just went on to your lifestyle uh, uh, page and i really like that beanie and glove package and i just got to ask if if the uh, index fingers on those gloves will operate my iphone <laughs> they will actually <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, shooting, cool. I was the, joking. The shooting, gloves, the shooting gloves do as well, and there's a great combat glove on there. You know, that that's one thing we put on there because we're seeing a lot of, of touch features and, and guys even at the range when they're running, you know, whether they're operating their, their iPhone or just picking it out or whatever. So, yeah, all it, it works on uh, all those personal um, devices. It is an area that, uh, you know, is a little bit more fragile than the rest of the glove because of the fabric that's used. And I have seen some guys that are really running and gunning hard and on the trigger a lot kind of wear that area out. Um, but, yeah, you can run your smartphone and and uh, do all the things you need to do with a, a touchpad-type um, device for sure. Awesome. Awesome. I'll be ordering it. <laughs> I wanted to, to yeah. tell a little story uh, here in the Southwest, uh, you know, I'm in Phoenix. I hunt a lot in Arizona. Also hunt uh, around Utah, you know, southern Wyoming, Montana. It's a real challenge to have everything that you need. I've hunted in uh, an elk hunt the day after Thanksgiving here in Arizona um, in an area where it's all mountains where you find the elk. And it, it would be 70 degrees during the day. So it's a real struggle to have the complete line of apparel that we need hunting around here. But I will tell you, I was up in Colorado hunting mule deer, and uh, the sn- it was snowing. I imagine it was around 22 or 23 degrees, and it had dropped about 12 inches of snow already. But my buddy was on what he thought to be about a 200-inch mule deer uh, at about 550 yards. But it was snowing so hard that I could see him clearly through my binoculars. But through the scope, he just couldn't see well enough to be comfortable taking a shot. So we sat and watched him for an hour and a half. And I was sitting in 12 inches of snow in your um, bib. Uh, Aegis. Uh, yeah. Aegis and yep. my butt, I'm, I'm telling you the truth, never got cold. I never got wet. Uh, I'm... I'm not blowing smoke when I say I do not hunt without Cryptek gear, and I think it's the best gear on the market. So I'm encouraging all my listeners to at least try one piece of your gear and decide whether or not this is for you. Because like a McMillan stock, it is not the cheapest gear on the market. That's for sure. But I guarantee you, you get what you pay for. And I've been hunting in the same gear, uh, though I add a piece here and there. I've been hunting in the same gear for about six, seven years now, and that's probably an average of two to three hunts a year. I even go to to um, New Mexico in early October, where it, we know for sure it's going to be in the 60s. Um, but, you know, when you're hunting antelope, they can see so extremely well. I'm not sure any camouflage really fools them, but I know what it does. It doesn't spook them. And so when they see me in, in cryptic gear and, and I'm 300 or 400 yards away, they know I'm there. But for some reason, they just don't seem to get spooked like they do if you're just wearing colors that are not normally found in their environment. Well, you know that um, it's kind of a, a two-part response to that. The first part is, is you know, the camo is definitely um, a major part of our brand. But... It's a, if we just consider the camo a paint job, what really matters is what's under the hood. And so the gear itself is first class, superb, you know, best fabrics, best, um, execution custom, you know, type, uh, sewing and, 
and uh, and we put our gear up against any other gear on the planet with regards to how it's supposed to work and supposed to be used. And you know, there's lots of different feedback that we get every year from end users, whether they're guides or outfitters, all the way down to guys that are just out there for the hunt of a lifetime that they've saved up for their for their whole life. And so that's that's most important uh, aspect of of the line is that it's quality stuff that we put our name and reputation on. The second part of that is when you talk about a camouflage that was really developed for the U.S. military um, that was developed actually starting at 400 meters because that's the max effective range of a 5.56 round and stopped. we stopped uh, our, our testing and developments at 10 meters, but I start getting reports from guys of encounters that they have while in the field. And there's, I've had guys come to me and say, I was antelope hunting in Colorado, and I had this buck run up to me. I was 10, 15 yards away from my blind and was basically looking at me, bobbing my, his head back and forth and up and down, trying to figure out what I was. And I was just kneeled down next to a fence post, and I was wearing your, you know, your cryptic Highlander camo. Um, I've had lots of lots of different scenarios and stories like that, you know, where it really plays uh, tricks on the, the animals that you're going after, which can be extremely important, especially if you're a bow hunter. But everybody appreciates the concealment, you know, and I've even had guys, um, out, outfitters and guides tell me that, you know, they've lost each other, even though they know they're there, they can see the clients with, say, some of my competitors camouflage and been 400 or 500 meters away through a spotting scope and thought, you know, maybe the outfitter, the guy that told me this, the outfitter, when they got back to camp, chewed his, chewed his ass and said, hey, you're not supposed to leave, you know, the clients. And he's like, what are you talking about? I didn't leave. And the whole time he was right there. But the uh, the outfitter couldn't see him because he was wearing cryptic. So those type of stories are super neat, you know, fooling the eye or fooling the mind and that sort of sort of thing. But um, yeah, no doubt about it. What really matters is how the gear performs as a whole, regardless of of the camouflage attribute that is, you know, an additional part of the the package. But but definitely um, not as important as how that jacket's going to work or or you know the base layers or whatever as a whole system. I know that uh, I haven't had a, an opportunity to be as close to some of the other camouflage makers as I have with you guys. Um, I remember when you stopped by my booth at uh, SHOT Show, I think 2010 or, or something. I know it was when mm-hmm. this was still in the concept phase. But from day one, you guys have planned um, different expeditions to really put this stuff in the field, not just what looks cool or what you think matches a particular environment and then, you know, get it printed up and, you know, have somebody stand out there and see if it works. You actually put this stuff to the test from day one. Yeah, a lot of the components were field tested for a couple of years before we bring them to the market. And when Cryptic was first formed, it was actually formed in Alaska. Um, I was living in Fairbanks, Alaska, and we'd do these uh, expeditionary-type hunts where we would go into areas that literally were pretty much impossible to get into and, and had zero pressure. And we'd do, you know, anywhere between 14 days to 20 days at a time at a pop and uh, just super extreme um, conditions and hunts. And, and we've not gotten away from that. We continue to go all over the world, New Zealand, um, Africa, Canada, Alaska, um, 
and when we're not able to go, our guys will go. You know, we've put a bunch of stuff into Mongolia this year uh, after Argali. Um, and so that's what really drives, uh, you know, some feedback, and, and it's really the R&D side of, of the business. But those ultra-hardcore do-it-yourself type hunts is, is kind of, you know, the fiber of who we are and the fiber of our product, you know, and doing more with less, especially when you get into hunts where, you know, you're limited with what you can pack if you're living out of your backpack for, you know, 10 days or so and that type of thing. And so you have to have pieces that are going to um, hold up and and truly sustain you through that adventure. And so um, that's really what we love to do is that type of hunting. It's become a little bit more difficult now that, you know, as I mentioned earlier on the show with getting the kids involved, because first of all, wife doesn't really like the idea of putting them in those situations, you know, where you get dropped off in the middle of nowhere and you're floating out a couple hundred river miles or whatever to your pickup. So, hey, um, Butch, we're just about out of time. I just wanted to take a, another minute just to say thanks for being on the show. Uh, you've been a great guest. Uh, time really flies. You think, oh, we've got you know plenty of time to talk about everything, and when it turns out we, we haven't even got a chance to talk about your, your hobbies and, and hunting and, and fishing and stuff. But I'll have you back on when we have some more time, and uh, we'll, we'll cover those subjects a little bit deeper. Once again, congratulations on such a great product, uh, uh, great camouflage, and, and and a hell of a business. I, I really am proud of you. Well, Kelly, thank you very much. As you stated, you've you know, been there since the beginning. We appreciate you guys and Zev. Uh, appreciate your guys' program. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks again for being on the show. I want to ask all of our listeners to stick around for a couple of minutes while we take a commercial break, and we'll be back with our next guest. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gunstock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Uh, welcome back to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Thanks for staying with us. Uh, 
such a great interview. Butch is a, a great guy. I'm I'm really proud of him, him and his partner, and uh, going from concept to to hobby to a, a full fledged business that employs a lot of people. So th- that's something that you know. I, I know my next guests now understand how difficult a challenge that really is because I've known uh, Larry Nelson and and his son Kevin Nelson is is in the studio with him. Uh, we're going to talk about the Nelson family and business, and we're talking about Sportsman Team Challenge. Um, Nelson Custom Guns is is an organization that uh, Larry's pretty had much had an LLC for as long as I've known him, maybe 20 years. Um, but it, when he first started it, it was just uh, to buy and sell guns and kind of a, a hobbyist uh, FFL holder. Um Larry's been on the fire department for 28 years. 32. Oh, 32 years. Man, I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, Larry Nelson is here with us, a fireman extraordinaire. Um, fortunately, looking forward to uh, retirement pretty quick. And his son, Kevin, is here. And they're going to talk about, uh, first off, tell us about uh, a little bit about your history and stuff. Uh, one thing I was really amazed to hear, and as long as I've known you, we haven't talked about it, but you're a third-generation Arizonan, and that, which makes Kevin a fourth-generation. And you got grandkids. That makes which a makes a five generation. So th- that's so uncommon that the five generations of one family, all from Phoenix, Arizona, or Arizona, um, that uh, I think that was worth commenting on. Welcome, Kevin and Larry. Appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, uh, we really appreciate it. Well, you and I first met, I think, um, many years ago. You you called up, and I think we might have known each other, but you said, hey, there's this new game in town, and, and I think it'd be really fun. You want to come shoot with us? And it was Sportsman Team Challenge. Well, back in the early days, they called it the Chevy Truck Challenge because Chevy actually sponsored the matches and, and put money into the sport. So it attracted some of the best shooters in in the country and um it was a three-gun competition that shot uh, small bore pistol um center fire pistol uh center fire or small bore rifle and shotgun so uh, i have to admit i've competed in some other sports but it is absolutely the most fun you can have shooting in a day oh. and a match takes a whole day <laughs> yeah and, and we're the same way we we've we shoot a lot of different things, but but that's the one we always shoot just purely for fun. And it, it actually started in '94. I was sitting at the fire station watching TV, and the uh, it came on, and I'm watching, and I'm saying, I, I, and I'd never competed in anything before. I'd just been a hunter, plinker, have fun, and I watched, and I said, I, I could do that. You know, that's something that's set up so that anybody could shoot it. And I called up uh, NSSF, talked to, to Jack Robertson, and said, Jack, I want to shoot this match. Where do I go? What do I do? And he says, where's the nearest match? He says, there aren't any in the southwest. If you want to shoot it, do you, you want to run it? And I said, oh, sure, no problem. <laughs> Had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> I think the very first match that I ever shot at was Nationals. Isn't that right? I think it was. Yeah. yeah. We, we, by that time, we hadn't had developed any matches here locally or anywhere close. So Larry says, hey, let's go down to Florida and shoot in the Nationals. So my brother and uh, Larry and I formed a team, and it just so happens that of the hundreds and hundreds of teams that were there shooting, we were chosen 
somehow to be the very first team up on the mixed bag. Now, the mixed bag is an interesting shotgun event where uh, each of the team members steps up to the firing location and two targets are thrown um, one after the other and from any of seven different targets, uh, um, machines. So you don't know where they're coming from and you don't know which ones they are. And the, like all of the, the matches in the Sportsman Team Challenge, it was timed. <laughs> of course, we had no idea what that meant. And we were the only people at the match that ran out of time on the mixed <laughs> bag. And to be perfectly honest, how we ran out of time, I have no idea. I do know that the rabbit would come out and run behind the hay bale, and I shot that hay bale three different <laughs> times. <laughs> so uh, we were not very good when we first started uh, competing, but it was so much fun that we, we continued on. And, I, and Larry still hosts the uh, Southwest Regionals and uh, tries to take a team to, to the Nationals every Every year. Right. Yeah, I, I uh, use the the uh, the regional match. All any profits we have, I try to, to put together a junior team whenever I can, and I use that to to, to take the juniors to the nationals. You've been real successful with junior teams. Mm-hmm. Now I can't remember what all everyone's done, but you probably can give us an idea about how successful the Arizona juniors teams have been in the Nationals uh, Sportsman Team Challenge. Oh, I, I think we've probably taken, I, I'm terrible with names and dates and things, but we've probably taken 15 teams, and I think the worst we ever did was second place in the nation. Yeah, we've... Uh, We've had some really good shooters come out of it that continue to shoot. Uh, your oldest son was one of those guys in the early beginning in the, on the youth teams. He also shot for the Arizona um, small board team, small board team and, and went to Alabama State on a scholarship. Hey, people, listeners out there, there are still universities that have shooting teams. So if you're a shooter and want to compete collegiately, don't just think, hey, there's nothing out there. There are places you can go. So I highly encourage you to do some research. Alabama State happens to be the one that, that Jack, Larry Jr. State was the one that he went to. Oh, Jacksonville State? Yeah. Okay, sorry but about there, that. There are actually, last time I checked, there were 26 colleges, and this includes major colleges, uh, Ohio State, Nebraska, that have uh, collegiate teams with scholarships. So they're, they're and it, it is, uh, heck, Larry ended up with a master's degree out of it. And you know, Sivan does a small bore, and she enjoys it, but I got to say, there's an ulterior, ulterior motive for me as well. Hopefully, she'll <laughs> she'll be one of those contenders. So, And by the way, I wanted to mention, if folks don't uh, or haven't seen a Sportsman Team Challenge, uh, Kelly actually had me film uh, the last one we were at, and it's on uh, the McMillan USA YouTube channel, and you'd be able to see a little bit about what uh, what happens there. So, check it out. Yeah, don't don't pay any attention to the way I was shooting because I I think it was the first time in a couple of years since I had shot and it, and it and my game sure looked like it but it was still a lot of fun. Uh, Kevin, you were one of those juniors. Uh, tell me about some of the experiences you've had shooting Sportsman Team Challenge and uh, specifically at the Nationals. Oh man, the Sportsman Team Challenge. It, it, when I started growing up with my dad, obviously it it was difficult. I I, I really liked motorcycles and cars, so I would go go watch racing and stuff and i'd see the factory teams and i think man those guys are lucky and uh i'd go shoot with my dad and i you know i i actually used to complain i'm like oh this i need more magazines and stuff and you know i was and i look over i notice i've got seven eight magazines and the guy next to me's got 
two and and after a few years i realized oh i think i'm on a factory shooting team this is i should stop complaining a little bit (laughs) but we it was such a fun match um i've shot some other matches since then and and nothing compares to the sports just everybody out there is so friendly and and it's just a fun match with reactive targets and you were you're the youngest of the nelson boys Oh, you're the middle one, but the, but you weren't around a lot early. Uh, CJ, I know CJ shot on a national championship team. Uh, had you? Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we in the beginning, I I went more with motorcycles and dirt bikes, and I was out doing that, and and uh, I actually uh, was racing street bikes uh, back in oh, this is probably 2006, and I, I ended up in an accident, broke my back, and figured it'd be safer to go shoot matches <laughs> than to ride motorcycles, and I got into it, and and I'm into the shooting more now than I ever was into the into the motorcycles. It's just so much fun and shooting and. Do you have a, a Sportsman Team Challenge website that, that people could go to? We we have a Facebook page. Um, I think it's S- STC Phoenix. Um, I'll have to check on that. But, yeah, we we just post uh, mostly pictures of us shooting the matches and videos. I think we have your video on. It's a great video. Uh, they got the drone footage out there. <laughs> I've watched that thing a dozen times. Um, Bestdronage.com. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was really good. But, yeah, we just post whenever you're shooting, and it's open to anybody. If, if you see it and you're in the area, come on down. If We have two-man and three-man teams, and we also do a lot of practices. So, come out and try it before for the real match i know that you send out emails reminders when you have practices and matches uh, can you give us that email address so anybody who might be interested in the phoenix area uh, could send you an email and say hey I- i'm interested uh you just send it to me at larry larry at, larry at nelson custom guns.com and, and that's just add it to the spelled just like it sounds yeah <laughs> okay so now that we've got to that part NelsonCustomGuns.com website? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Tell us, in your words, what it is that you guys do. What we've done is we we build a custom, or not a custom, we we build a conversion for the 1911 that is match grade uh, that we've done our best to, to make it identical as much as possible to a to a standard 1911 we have the same weight you're using the same grip the same trigger mags everything is the same so that you can use it either the steel shooters like to use it for practice because it's a cheap way to put a lot of rank and you're talking about 22 long rifle 22 long rifle correct and uh but which was what we thought our market would be, but the bullseye shooters discovered us about three years ago. And since then, probably 80 or 90% of our market has turned out to be bullseye shooters. Hmm. Because uh, of that's not a bad thing. No, it's a good thing, but, but they, they've adopted us because of the accuracy and the reliability both. One thing I know for sure is that may not be quite as likely to spend as much money as if it's a guy who's working on his gun for a match itself so yeah having the bullseye guys using these guns and matches that's a good thing for you guys oh yeah yeah and and it 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 all happened what about two years ago mostly when we went to camp perry and just we went just to support a couple of our shooters that were there and we set up a booth at, with uh, Brenzovich. He, he puts us in his, his area in Bender's Row. And uh, they started coming in and looking and handling and everybody looked at... 
we build uh, uh, do a lot of different things. We, we build a true 1911 profile. It'll still fit in most holsters, but we build most of it out of steel, so the weight of our unit is the same as a as their 1911. So they get the same feel when they're shooting the 22s as they do with the 45s, and then. Uh, they've added in the new EIC and distinguished matches in 22, which also helped. Let's go back a few years to where this all began, because I've known you for so long. I've seen the transition from what uh, Nelson Custom Guns originally was to what it is now. You had an internship uh, with with a guy who was going to teach you how to build match guns, right? That's correct. Yeah, I, and it was actually due to the team challenge. When I started that, I, I needed a gun, so I asked around, and I was told Bob Marvel was a guy to build the gun. And so I called him up. He built a gun for me. We shot it, and on our way back from from Camp Perry one year, Larry and I stopped at his shop, and we spent a couple of days. And he he had us in. He he said, "Well, as long as you're going to be shooting it, let me let me show you something. How to take care of it, what to do if it breaks, and you know what how to fix things." And we spent two days there. And about six months later, he called and said, "You seem to have a knack for this. Would you be interested in doing an internship?" And I said, well, let me think for a minute. Okay. Um, and uh, I know for a fact that that wasn't totally benevolent on his part because I know he got some work out of you while you was there that he didn't have to pay for. But, yeah, that it was a great uh, relationship between the two of you. Yeah. And, and I lived here in Phoenix. He was in Nebraska, and I'm still a fireman, so I would work double shifts save up some comp time and take two weeks off about once a quarter I'd fly and spend two weeks in his shop and I did that for about four years um, so how did that uh, morph into this um, 22-1911 conversion uh, I had picked up one of his conversions he was building them back then and I loved the thing he, he had done his original prototyping and design and development work. Once he had perfected it pretty much, he partnered with a machine shop, and they formed a company, and they were making the conversions. They were doing the assembly and the machine work. Bob was doing the uh, quality control, and he would come in, and they'd make changes, and he'd say, why have you done this? Well, it's cheaper to make. It's easier to make. It's easier to machine. And after a few years, he said, you know, this isn't working. You, you've made too many changes. We need to go back and, and reevaluate. And they said, no, we don't. We're selling them as fast as we could make them. We don't need you anymore. And they locked him out of the company. So this is while I'm working in his shop. And for the next 10 years, Bob, Bob's one of these guys that's never satisfied. You can always make things better, and you should always continue to make them better. And for 10 years, he was saying, well, you know, I know how to make them walk back now. I know how to make them uh, dry fire safe. And, and after about 10 years, I said, Bob, I'm tired of listening to you. I'm going to take out a loan, and we're going to start over again. And um, you, you talked about your brother. Rock has has the machine shop. So Rock and Kelly and Kevin and I sat down with a clean sheet of paper, and Bob basically redesigned from scratch the unit. He said, well, last time I did this, but if we change this dimension, it'll be more reliable. If we roll this, it'll be stronger. And basically redesigned it from scratch. And Rock then did all the the, the uh, uh, solid works and, and the machine work for us. And... Um, that's basically where we came from. We're, we're, we're like the 2.0 version, I guess, of his conversion unit. Now, we spoke briefly about how cool it is to take a business from a, a concept to a hobby to 
a, a real business. And I know you're kind of, because you're still on the department and you're still working as a fireman and that's going to be for another year, maybe a little bit more? Two more months. Oh, is that all? That's all. Jesus. <laughs> Man, I'm so happy for you because I, I know I know the last five years has been a real challenge for you. Um, but... I know you've you've had a bunch of surprises. <laughs> oh man! Explain to our listeners why, just because you have a good idea, you have a good product, and you can actually see the end product, that doesn't necessarily mean business is going to be easy. Uh, yeah, I, I would love to be able to go back and start all over again, knowing then what I know now, because we made so many mistakes in the beginning. We we've <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to start with the big, <laughs> with the mistakes we've made, but but the whole thing is we have we we've just kept whatever it took, you know, to to make it better, to improve, to to keep up. Um, you know, the, we made a lot of mistakes in the beginning, thinking, "Hey, we're ready to go." Uh, or order, uh, we, we'd order. Uh, I I remember I, I remember hearing a long time ago that saying of. Uh, um, Making the the light bulb, he uh, he he didn't fail. He tried what was For it two thousand yeah times. two thousand times and and it didn't work. And he said, I didn't fail. I just know two thousand ways not to make the light bulb. <laughs> and that's kind of like we did. We 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 uh, we we were excited to bring it to market. Was was one of the one of the issues I think we had up close is that uh, we wanted to come out real fast. And so we we made the first prototypes and we we tested them. But we probably should have tested them a little bit longer, and we found one spot that that was a little weak. So we we actually made a thousand slides, and before we ever started shipping them, the first prototype started cracking. So that was a life lesson that that you do your prototyping, you you spend the time to to do it right. Otherwise, uh, my dad always says, do it right or do it twice, and we did it twice or three times. Yeah, that sounds like a woodworking phrase: <laughs> measure twice, cut once. Yes, yeah, something like that. Um, but you've got it down. You've got a good product now. They're selling. Uh, you're having difficulty with keeping up. That's our biggest problem since uh, Camp Perry. Uh, well, the the first person that came to us was, was uh, Rob Latham. Rob came to us and and he, he I saw him at one of the matches and he he said, "I heard you're making a conversion." I said, "Rob, I told you that two years ago." And he said, "Well, I thought you were just doing it as a hobby. I didn't realize it was for real." <laughs> So he, he picked one up and came back and said, hey, I really like this. Let me do something. And he made that video that we have on our website. Um, and then that that kind of started the ball rolling. And then at Camp Perry a few years ago, John Zurich picked one up and started shooting. And when John did, that's when the bullseye shooters started, for the most part, taking taking notice of us, a, a lot of them. Uh, they, they'd, they'd found us, but it hadn't hadn't really picked up. For our listeners, uh, Larry mentioned Rob Latham. He's going to be on our show in a couple of weeks. So if if you're interested in in listening to Rob and anybody who knows him knows he's he is such a character. He's going to be a great guest. I can't wait for the show. So I'm just putting out a little early tease for anyone interested in in getting to know Rob Latham a little bit better. He's going to be on our show in a couple of weeks, and and I'll uh, I'll let everybody know through the normal channels. Yeah, that's 
I, 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 I'll definitely want to hear that one. <laughs> Rob is a character. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, emailing with him back and forth, and uh, I think it's next Friday, but I know he's at NRA, and, and we look for uh, some pieces of information before we bring somebody on. We get their bio and their picture and kind of topics they want to discuss, and uh I hadn't told him that I needed it as quickly as I could, so I could already see the character coming out in the response email I got. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rob is a very busy man, and uh, as close a relationship as we have, it it may take him as much as a week to get back to me on a text. And oh, don't try to email him because <laughs> that doesn't work. Phone calls don't work. You know, and even calling his wife and saying, "Hey." Tell Rob to call me. Nah, that doesn't work either. So text is the only way to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I want to go back a little bit in, in your history. Uh, when we first met as a fireman, uh, and I think firemen are lucky in one respect, is that you can kind of manipulate your schedule to give you extended time off. And I know that for, I don't know, 15 years, you you manipulated your schedule and did everything you could do so that you'd have six or eight weeks off during the summer? Yeah, I, I worked double shifts and, and shift trades for, for nine months out of the year, and then I would uh, trade that in and, and spend the summer running the Boy Scout rifle range at, at Camp Geronimo. And that was that was where I met a lot of the juniors and was able to, to find kids that loved to shoot. Well, that, that was a great thing for me growing up because all – winter long he was working double and triple shifts to save up the summer so I was, I, was at, I was at home and, and only had mom to deal with <laughs> and so racing I, motorcycles oh man it was great <laughs> but then uh but then even better than that was we go to summer and i get to spend the whole summer up in camp so i had a I just say I had a great childhood. That was that was good fun, but I was a terror because Dad wasn't there to keep me in line. I have a tremendous amount of respect for the amount of time, effort, and energy you put in to making sure that the next generation of kids had an opportunity to learn marksmanship, um, proper gun handling, all the stuff that you guys covered at the range. And how many boys do you think went through that program every year? Every year we run from our camp. Well, I, I ran Geronimo. The scouts have two camps, and I, right. I take care of all of their maintenance and equipment and all. But each camp runs about 3,500 boys a summer through there, so 7,000 boys every summer. Yeah, I don't know anyone who has had as much experience uh, impacting the modern youth uh, and their vision of uh, the firearms and 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 that to keep our industry fresh as you have. So I, I want to thank you for that. I want to commend you for that. That's a, a tremendous thing. Well, thanks. Uh, it, it was partially uh, self-serving, I guess, because I enjoyed doing it. And I figure if we don't keep the, the, uh, the youth shooting, then we don't have a new have a sport or or a industry in the future we've uh, talked a little bit i think uh, the website is nelsoncustomguns.com uh, they can go on there they can see videos of what the conversion is how it works um, by direct from you yeah correct okay yeah and uh, that is 
would you prefer them? Do you have an online sales? Yeah, that, online yeah, store. Okay. Everything's right there at Nelson Customs. But if they've got questions, they can always give you a call and, and you'll take care of them. Yeah, Absolutely. we answer. If I'm there, I answer the phone. So yeah. I talk to everybody that calls. And... Uh, do you have a, a, an STC match coming up pretty quick? Just had oh, it. Oh, just had it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. yeah I, I don't know if any of my guys got to, to attend. Uh, I know last year um, I sponsored, uh, I don't know, six or seven teams. <laughs> and so everyone in the shop uh, wanted to shoot. Uh, this year I said, you, you boys are on your own. And unfortunately they decided <laughs> that their, their money was more important than that. So um, it, they're, they're lost though. I mean, it's such a fun time yeah. and, and this is so great. Well, the nationals are coming up in July. They're uh, 2021, 22, I believe. In, in July this July year, this instead year. of June, like they've always been. Yeah. They moved it to July and it's in uh, Grand Island, Nebraska at Hornady's range. Oh, great. Um, so anybody interested in uh, sportsman team challenge, um, I, I'm sure there must be a national a website that they can go to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember it off the top of my head, though. But they can, if they want, they can call me or, or email me, and I'll get them the information. Well, I want to thank both of you, Larry, Kevin. Thanks for being on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Um, we've had a lot of laughs. Uh, uh, good luck in business. I know that you you're over the hump now, and things are looking up for you. And uh, I can't wait till you retire and and get to uh, fully spend all your time working at the business. I know that's something you've been looking forward to the last five years. So, yep. thanks. Thank yeah, you. Thank, thank you again for letting us come down. Um, once again, we're we're at the end of another great show. Uh, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for spending their very valuable time with us. Remember, we'll be here next week on Voice of America Sports Channel for another exciting episode of Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I suggest that you go out and enjoy this beautiful spring weather and uh, get to enjoy some of the, the outdoors that this country has to offer. I know I'm going to. I'm going up north, and, and I'm really looking forward to it. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.